Instagram focuses on all the wrong things. Like they came out with the announcement this week. They're focused on every video becoming a reel. They want people to pump out more videos. Yeah. They're basically just trying to be TikTok. Yeah. Like that's essentially what they're trying to do. They're like, forget the algorithm that we built. We're just going to do this whole for you page and the algorithm is going to serve you. My first thought was, shit, what, what does this mean for ads? But I realized the so. ads will still be there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Thank God. Uh, it's also Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> this is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. I love how Tapcart's mobile app allows merchants to grow revenue, optimize marketing spend, and increase customer lifetime value. One feature I love about Tapcart is the ability to drag and drop. As somebody who knows nothing about how to code or where to even start if I wanted to start coding, Tapcart's drag and drop builder just makes it so easy to build a mobile app. Tapcart created an exclusive two-month free offer, especially for our listeners. Go to tapcart.com slash limited. Again, that's tapcart.com forward slash limited. All right, we're back. Today, we've got a whole list of things to talk about. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, we're going to go through uh, the best way to drum up cash if your brand is facing some headwinds right now. And I know a bunch of people are as a result of ad changes and supply chain issues. Uh, we're going to talk through the Facebook and Shopify earnings reports, which just dropped earlier today. Uh, Facebook came out less than an hour ago. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about IPOs of pu- or publicly traded companies of e-commerce brands, uh, Box, Grove, and Thrive Market. Uh, we're going to get to some outside-of-the-box marketing channels, so think non-direct response. And then we're finally going to get to, if we've got time, Nick's daily report, which is basically his ideal report of what you would look at every single day from a KPI perspective to understand how is your e-commerce brand doing. Perfect. Uh, but let's get to the top, which is the best way to drum up cash flow as brands face headwinds. And the reason that we've got this on the agenda is we've chatted with a bunch of brands recently that are facing these headwinds. Mm -hmm. Their online advertising isn't going the way that uh, they expected. You know, Facebook announced a drop in earnings. We're going to get to that. Shopify has announced that, you know, COVID didn't bring e-commerce forward five years. In fact, it's reverted back to what the original trajectory was going to be like. Right. And, you know, a bunch of brands that I know are either struggling right now or possibly not going to make it if they haven't reorganized their cash flow and right-sized their team. Do you remember like the average office size, like employee count at a company, direct-to-consumer brand in 2017? I have no idea. But like all I remember is big Soho offices, 40 people at least. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I've seen, you know, uh, brands that are doing less than a million dollars per person. That's sort of the gold standard that I look at it where I'm like, if you're doing a million dollars, you can have one person for that. Like doing $10 million, you can have 10 people here. Doing 50 million, you can have 50 people. Right. But if you're if you're uh, more than that, like you probably need to be a little bit nervous about hiring, especially as the uh, world changes in front of us. Yep. But I'm really excited to talk about other ways to drum up cash because I think this is Same. a great conversation. I've always had this thought too of like you know if, if I had a brand and or a business that was facing headwinds or hardships, you know I would always try to have some sort of like whether it's a side hustle that the business also runs or something going on on the side that's like, I can count on some cash coming in regardless if people never buy the physical product that we're selling again. Yeah, I definitely did this in my first business was uh, my co-founder and I started a business where we sold alcohol online. Mm -hmm. That type of business is great for events and making money from events. Yeah. You know, it was a small business. We got to something like a $5 million revenue run rate and we sold it pretty early within 18 months of launching it. But we were bootstrapped and so we were hard up for cash. And 
you know, I remember we were both lawyers. And so one of the things, I don't know how this happened, but a law firm emailed us and they're like, hey, we want to do an event for our lawyers or some of our lawyers. And we want you to do like a spirits tasting. Come down, bring us spirits and have everyone sample some and do something to that effect. And, you know, we were Just lawyers. Lawyer things. And, and what's ridiculous is that like, you know, these bottles that we've got cost $40 and, you know, you can generally get them sponsored. They wouldn't even cost us anything. And so we'd go to this law firm and, you know, the, the amount you charge for a, a, something like this is crazy. We charge like, I think it was $2,500 or $5,000 to go down there for an hour and, how long, okay, and do an this hour. taste day. Yeah, it, it took an hour. And, um, you know, what was ridiculous is there, the law firm was like, in order to enter the building as a contractor, you need to give us proof of, you know, liability insurance. So I was like, <laughs> are you joking? We're bringing yeah. like bottles of liquor. And they're like, no, you need this insurance. And they needed like a $5 million insurance cap, which no one would even give us. Wow. But so I was like, I can't get $5 million. I can only get $1 million through this online forum. And they're like, okay, through this online forum where like, you know, you pay them a hundred dollars and they give you the certificate. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, okay, do that. And I was like, here's the certificate. I was like, this is so stupid. There's two of us. We've bring five bottles and there's 10 people in the room. <laughs> What's the problem here that you think there's going to be an insurance They're afraid issue? you're going to kill their best lawyers. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and so anyway, we did that and we drummed up about $5,000. And how many could you do of those? Not many is okay. a problem. It was great for like one-off cash. We did everyone. Actually, we did a couple, like there was one. God, I forgot what brand it was, but it was like a clothing brand that wanted to do one. And mm. we're like, okay, we'll do a bunch of craft spirits there. And we charged like $2,500 cause they only, they were like at, at 2,500 we won't do this. And we're like 2,500 it is. Yeah. We did everyone that we could do where someone reached out to us and they're like, hey, sponsor this or like come and do this. Yeah. Uh, then we started doing our own. We would uh, throw this event every year in New York City where we would charge brands and we charge them, you know, $500 a table up to $1,000 a table. These are alcohol brands? Alcohol brands uh, to come and like pour their spirits. Got it. Then we would charge like, you know, $50 to $60 for consumers to come over and like taste it. So we're charging both sides. It was pure profit, but that one was a lot of work because we'd have like, you know, 300 people in there. We'd have to sell tickets. We'd have to drum up enough interest in the tickets. uh, Licenses because there's alcohol involved. We didn't because what we do is we go to an event space that had the license for us. So a lot of times we do it at Houston Hall. Do you know where that is? It's Uh, like it's on Houston and like it's this big event space. And like, you know, they would have food and uh, they'd give us the venue. So, and they were already licensed to sell alcohol and serve alcohol. That's awesome. So we could just use that. And like, you know, we probably made ten or $15,000 per event, yeah, which that's is once great. a year, which is great. Yeah. It was just a ton of work. Yeah. But those are great opportunities for brands to make money. Like, totally. um, I bet Native could have done stuff like that. We never did it with that brand. But like, yeah. you know, do Native at events where we're like, look, we've made cocktails that are like our deodorants. Come and sample them. Get free deodorants. Yeah. And, you know, we charge several thousand dollars a brand, especially in San Francisco, yeah. where you can charge a lot of money because people... Or VC just have money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but what are some other ideas, though? So one one that I've always thought is a newsletter. So the first time I thought about this was when we worked with Orgain Protein. And I was like, this founder, his name is Andrew. He has such a cool story as to how Orgain started. Like, one, this guy should have his own stream of content that goes out just because he's so, like, smart. He's a smart guy, uh, medically and business-wise. Um, he built this business from scratch. Amazing. Basically sold it twice, first to like PE and second time to Nestle. And, you know, I was like, how does this guy not have at least a newsletter of just his thoughts on the world of wellness or like, and it could either be B2B, you know, to distributors and whatever, people who work in the industry, or it could be to the average person who's just like, I just want to hear what's going on in, in wellness and in health from a guy who's like the best person to hear it yeah. from. 
And I remember telling him this and I was like, like, first of all, you could just say this in a voice memo and it would take you a minute and a half. And then somebody else can just write it for you. Yeah. And you can use, you know, Beehive to go send it. Or you could write it yourself. And, you know, this is basically like the best, like this is always going to be ad space for Orgain. Yeah. Or you could always sell ad space. Yes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Like you so you're talking about a space. side hustle for an individual, not the business. Like, no, no, but I also think for the business. Like I also think that, well, it depends on the business. If you're selling candles, maybe not. But I think you could still figure out how to make a separate publisher arm underneath the business. Like yeah. At Hint, we had one called The Quench. And so The Quench.com was like the publisher arm that I just created because I wanted to run advertorials. Yeah. So like The Quench could have its own newsletter and its own social channels and everything. Yeah. And I think you could treat it like a publisher and, and it could go out and, and sell make ad space. Yeah. Because if you got eyeballs, yeah. why not? Yeah. Coca-Cola wants to buy the ad space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think the best would be like, like if I was a founder, I would probably position it to B2B because yeah. the ad dollars in B2B go a lot further. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got a newsletter and you position your newsletter. It's all B2B. It's all B2B. Yeah. On your rank of income streams, where does the newsletter sit? Probably like at the highest. Wow. But it's because like I, I cannot take out from others. What does that mean? So like I don't have to take money out of the business from other companies, I can just rely on the newsletter yeah, for gotcha, my gotcha. income. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So you're sending out the newsletter. It's a Nick Sharma, you know, newsletter. Yeah, every Sunday. And how often, like, you know, is it hard to drum up sponsorships for that kind of stuff or not really? No, it wasn't that hard. Honestly, most people don't ask. And so I have uh, a couple other friends who also started doing a newsletter. You know, I was like, have you gotten any sponsors? And they're like, well, we only got like 5,000 readers. I'm like, dude, you could go sell that for probably 2,500 bucks. Yeah. That's a that's like 5,000 meaningful eyeballs yeah. is a lot of money to a business, you know? Yeah. Like whenever we throw our events in New York, one sponsor might pay tens of thousands of dollars for that one night. And then if they get one client out of that, it's that makes it. up five times over yeah. what they paid for the event, yeah, right? Yeah. So in B2B, the dollars are just so much bigger. For sure. But yeah, getting sponsorships was not that hard. And are I they generally inbound emailed. now? They're generally inbound, um, yeah. At this point, it's all, it's pretty much inbound. Unless, like we, uh, for example, with Sharma Brands, we're switching to JustWorks. And I'm like, damn, this is like, I don't know, 20 grand. And I just email Workweek and I'm like, let's go get JustWorks as a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to pay me back. That's awesome. So yeah, so sometimes there's companies that are just really expensive. And I tell Workweek, like, let's go get them as a sponsor got so it, I don't it, feel it. bad paying it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. That's really impressive. Um, you know, the number, like uh, every Sunday I open up my Twitter and I'm like, is Nick Sharma trending now or what's going on? <laughs> Everything is about your email newsletter on yeah. Sunday nights. I have no idea. I mean, obviously we, I'm sure we follow uh, the same a people the on same Twitter. People. Yeah. But it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And but really impressive that you've been able to build that out. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's honestly, sometimes it's really fun to write. The yeah. thing is like in, in the shower, yeah. During on Sundays, that's like when the outline of this whole thing gets downloaded in my brain. Like I can just see the full outline. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, it's yeah. like a two hour process where I'm just sitting and trying scrolling the internet, trying yeah. to think of something. Yeah. And um, how, uh, how long does it take you to type it out actually? On average, like three hours. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's a decent amount of time. Yeah. But so yeah, so newsletters are really hard, yeah. especially to stay consistent but there's this example I put here in our Google Doc. So 247health.com. If you click it and then you go to the Daily Tonic on the top. So the Daily Tonic, it's basically a 
Uh, I'm going to read the description. The Daily Tonic is a two to five minute daily newsletter sharing science-backed health news and tips. It's basically like morning brew for yeah. health, right? Yeah. And they've got 100,000 readers. It's created by the founders. Uh, it's basically Gareth and Justin Mayers. Gareth, uh, who we talked about. Yeah. And then at uh, Pila and then Justin Mayers. And I don't know how they got 100,000 readers so fast. I'm sure they were able to leverage their customer list or try something of that yeah, nature. Smart. Uh, maybe run ads to their customer list. But they're definitely selling ad space. Their screenshot down here says Morning Brew sponsored it. Yeah. Good for um, them. That's a great idea. Yeah, and great like, side hustle. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like, I think that not enough people recognize how much uh, you can monetize a small audience yeah. because that audience could be really devoted. Like, I don't know how big our podcast will get, yeah. but, you know, it'll be a bunch of e-commerce people listening. Yeah. And those are really valuable ears and eyes. Yeah. Two other ideas just popped in my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I was Hint and I needed to get cash real quick, yeah. I would do this but I would sell it to like ClassPass and I could sell that to our consumer audience. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. B2B. Yeah, yeah. That it's makes like sense. now a tech company's uh, got a subscription and a bit much bigger return on these customers. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then the other one I thought of, which already happens pretty often is, do you ever get HelloFresh? Yeah. So like the postcard that comes in there, it's basically yeah. ad space from yeah. another brand. And they sell those as full-on campaigns. That's a great idea. Yeah. There was, uh, you know, Naked Wines. Have you ever heard of a brand called Naked, Naked Wines? Wines? Yeah. Their only method of customer acquisition is those insert cards. No way. And so they're like, we'll pay you on a CPM basis. How many packages are you shipping out? Great. We'll pay you X dollars for CPM. And far wow. more than like, you know, you pay Facebook. If you're paying yeah. Facebook $20, they'll pay $100. Yeah. Uh, and to put those cards in your uh, boxes, which I thought about for a brief second while I was running native, because I was like, okay, that's a bunch of money. And then I was like, I don't want to ruin the brand here. Yeah. But that's a great idea from Hell That's not bad. 10 cents a box. Yeah. They were paying 10 cents a box. The question is like, you know, my brand was so early and so fragile that yeah. I was like, you know, I can't dilute it with something for else sure. right now. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that, their whole business model is that kind of stuff. Yeah. HelloFresh's business model is also like referrals, but it's generally like I refer you, like I order and then I refer right, you. And right, right, right. Yeah, they're very good in their app Yeah, about retention. Yeah. The other thing I don't understand is um, we were talking about this brand a week ago and like, you know, they posted that they're not, they're going to go out of business soon. It's called a Prey, A-P-R-E-S. Yeah. They were like, we're running this going out of business sale. Uh, we're launching like 30% off or something to that effect. And I was a user. And so I was like, okay, I want to buy some of it. And by the time I looked, they were out of everything they had. Yeah. And I was like, you know, they had it like 24 hours ago. I went back to my computer to yeah. look and I was like, wow, that sale got you a ton of cash flow right there. Yeah. I think people should do, not like going out of business sale, obviously, but more like, you know, we're excess inventory. We're running one day 30% off some of this excess inventory. Yeah. Or we're selling this mystery box. You don't know what's inside of it. Yeah. There's three items that we have excess inventory for that would retail for $90. We're going to retail for $30, but we're going to move this excess inventory. There was a time in Native where we had excess inventory and I contacted a men's subscription box called Bespoke Post. And I was like, hey, I want to include our deodorant in your box. And they paid like, you know, the cost of the deodorant. And I was like, yeah. thank God, because either I was going to have to throw this out because it wasn't good. any Like, you know, it was going to go bad yeah. or you took it and um, bought it and I got full price for it. So basically That's I didn't amazing. take a loss. And so I think there's a lot of ways to liquidate that kind of 100%, stuff. percent. Yeah. Pop Sugar has a box like that. Bespoke Post. There was one that was just under fire recently for like not paying anybody. Oh, uh, you're, Touch of Modern. Yeah, Touch yeah, of Modern. Yeah. But yeah, there are boxes out there that do pay. Yeah, and yeah. I think people just got to research what they are. They basically just go look up subscription boxes. Yeah, and you got to like find the box that's valuable enough and your product has to be good enough, right? Yeah. Like if you're if you're putting in a sample size bottle of lotion, probably right. no one's going to pay you the cost of that sample. Right. If you're putting in a full stick of deodorant, I bet you can get $1.50 from it. Totally. Yeah, that's solid. 
Sadly, I think this is going to become more and more prevalent of people having to think about cash flow. Yeah. Uh, and I think that transitions well into our, the next thing we want to ch- chat about, which is Shopify earnings and Facebook earnings. Facebook announced, you know, an hour ago, basically, that their revenue was lower in, qu- in Q2 2022 than it was in Q2 2021. Mm-hmm. This is the first time ever their revenue has dropped from a year ago period, ever. Their daily active users was up, which was surprised the market. And they're th- they adjust by they, 0.01 by 0.01. Yeah, I mean they've got you know people are always like oh look at how fast TikTok is growing. Facebook's uh, daily active users is two billion. That's crazy. Two billion out of the I don't know seven or eight billion people <laughs> yeah. on the world, and probably of the eight billion people on the world, you know, at least twenty percent are probably over the age of sixty or under the age of you know seven, and yeah. probably wouldn't think about something like this. Right. And so uh, that's a lot of daily active users. Yeah. And then they announced that their third quarter earnings are going to be short of revenue expectations. Uh, Shopify, you know, laid off 10% of their workforce a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Toby's like, you know, I bet that the world was going to change as a result of the pandemic and that e-commerce would fundamentally change. And he's like, I got that wrong. We're sort of reverting back to what the business looked like. Yeah, it's like pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic now. Yeah, which is really interesting. I talked to the CEO. Uh, I remember right when the pandemic started, like in late 2020, yeah. he's like, the, the pandemic has brought our business up five years. We're basically doing revenue in 2020 that we thought we'd be doing in 2025. It's incredible. Yeah. And then a year late in 2021, I chat, chatted with him and he's like, the pandemic brought us forward one year. Yeah. And more recently, he's been like, yeah, the, we're back to, you know, 2019 trajectory that we had initially. Yeah. I think it has fundamentally changed. Like everyone has sort of thought, oh, you know, the pandemic would have fundamentally changed e-commerce. And now they're like, maybe we're going back to where it was in the past. Yeah. And I think it's going to continue that slow growth from here. What do you think of the Shopify earnings report? I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think about yeah. the Shopify earnings yeah. b- before we get into uh, Facebook. You know, I think that Shopify is just focusing on the wrong things. They're not focusing on the software that's right in front of them. They can mm-hmm. improve Shopify to, so that it's more, you know, a lot of businesses start on Shopify, but then graduate, like the best businesses are like, look, we're doing 25, $50 million in revenue on Shopify. Help us make it so that the cust- the checkout page is more customizable for mm-hmm. us. Make it so that there's native uh, subscription apps to make life really easy for us. Provide us the Shopify audiences. I know Shopify launched this Facebook audience thing. I don't know how that's working. That could be really that could mm-hmm. work out really well. Make it so that we can do that through direct mail and take a little bit of cut from that. Yeah. I think there are a lot of ways that Shopify could be leveraging their software in a way that they're not. And I think they're focused on things like they're focused on the SMBs when they or like really small businesses when they should be focused more on the 10 to 50 million dollar businesses because that's where there's a lot more juice for them to have uh, a lot more juice to squeeze. And I also think they should raise prices right away. And I know that hurts a lot of people who use Shopify. But like if Clavio is charging you more than if Clavio charges more than Shopify, <laughs> yeah. the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Shopify should be charging way more. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. In fact, yesterday I was thinking. Like it's kind of crazy that that they're that Shopify doesn't have all the like maybe the the nucleus family suite of apps you think it would have, plus maybe the extended family, like subscriptions, ratings and reviews. How is that how is ratings and reviews not native Built to in, Shopify? Yeah, sure. Uh loyalty was another one. There's just like apps where I'm like, if these were Shopify based apps, there's also more revenue for them to pick up. Like yeah. if you go to a Shopify subscription company, they charge you a percent of the order. Like Shopify could easily take that for themselves. Post-purchase upsell. You know, give us a post-purchase upsell and charge a fortune for it. And then I do agree on the customer acquisition side. I don't think they do a lot to help. Like they they announced a bunch of stuff at Shopify Unite recently. Yeah. 
And some of the cool stuff there was like customizing checkout, but yeah. it's not completely like, I don't know what, how, to what extent you can customize the checkout, uh, but I'm excited to see that. And supposedly it's like very customizable. The other one that they're launching is Shop Cash Boost, I think it's called. So it's like, if you have the Shop app, they're trying to yeah. turn that into a marketplace yeah. where you know you could go to Long Weekend and you could see that if you shop there, you get 10 times more points in your Shop Cash rewards. And I'm under an NDA, so I can't talk about the platform. No but problem. That I'll, looks pretty sick. That's great. I, I mean, I live and breathe e-commerce. I don't have the shop app on my phone. Yeah, I'm me shopping I've never it. used it. And neither do you. you. Know? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's like, you know. So I, I don't know, but, but like, it does surprise me they haven't tried to take on like Klaviyo or Postscript or some of these sure. apps that make a lot of money in their ecosystem more directly or just said like, we're going to just integrate you even better. Like, you know, like when you integrate Postscript with anything or Klaviyo with anything, you're like copy pasting an API key. Yeah. That it shouldn't be the case. Sure. There should be a much better integration if it's not Shopify doing it natively. Yeah. I couldn't agree with, uh, more about all of those things. The way I think about it is it should be offensive and defensive. And defensive is like provide us more tools to better run our businesses, right. whether it be you know native apps to do post-purchase upsells, which should have existed a long time ago, or um, native apps to do reviews or loyalty or subscriptions. Yeah. Those are all defensive things that'll help me once I get traffic to my website. Right. And then it should be offensive, which is how do I hunt down more traffic? Right. That shop pay app thing, I get it. It's it's like, you know, Walmart Walmart would be like, hey, Native, um, in order to get into all the Walmarts, you need to pay us $500,000 to own our homepage on walmart.com once. Yeah. And it got us like three sales. And I'm like, this is the cost of doing business to get into all the Walmart stores I want to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got to pay for walmart.com. That's what this shop app is. Sure. There's just not enough offense there. Like yeah. there's not enough meaningful dollars coming through there. And I'm not sure why they're not focusing on those things to provide uh, more help to Shopify, you know, merchants. I think the offense is where they need to focus a little bit more. Yeah. Like they've got to help the brands get the revenue because most of their money comes from credit card swipes. Yeah. And so they need to help build that funnel to get more credit card swipes. The way I think about it is the iPhone. When the iPhone came out, there was you had to pay 99 cents to buy an app mm -hmm. to turn a flashlight on. Yeah. And like, you know, then Apple was like, this is stupid. We should integrate this with Apple and make it native. Right. And they're like the shop, you know, the uh, flashlight apps went away. Right. Yeah. And so I think that there are a lot of those types of businesses where um, a lot of those types of apps that went away because uh, Apple was like, we do this better and we're just going to integrate it. Right. Similarly, uh, you know, Shopify has done a great job to build building an ecosystem and they should, you know, they want that ecosystem to thrive. But that doesn't mean that prevents them from building anything that exists in that ecosystem. Right. They need to go out and do that. And I think that's what, you know, if I was Shopify management, I might be like, look, we're partners with these people. I bet Toby's personal friends. Too. Yeah, exactly. I bet to yeah. put Toby's personal friends with a bunch of those guys as well. And so it's hard to be like, look, we're now going to eat your lunch, but you got to do what's best for the business here. Mm -hmm. And what's best for the business is to eat their lunch and to charge more. I, I cannot, uh, like if I were, I was, uh, you know, a private equity firm should realistically look at Shopify and be like, we're going to come in, buy this business and quadruple prices. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, there's no reason Clavio should be so much more than Shopify. And I mean, that would suck for everyone in the community, but like, what is Shopify doing charging $200 a month for all of the service? Yeah. Especially if they were able to provide more offensive tools. That's, you know, Do you it's remember more what your native pricing was? We were plus? on Shopify plus. I don't remember what it was, but we did, we were, we had a, our own contract with Stripe and not using theirs. 
we called up Stripe and we had a, like, you know, we had a personal relationship with Stripe. We got their rates from them and then we implemented our rates onto Shopify got it. rather than using Shopify's rates because our rates were better. And got we had it. to give Shopify a little bit of cut like a, on every transaction, a small cut from our processing rates. But even then, our rates were so much better. It was better to use our rates and pay Shopify a cut than use Shopify's credit card system, got which it. is pretty crazy. Yeah. Anyway, that's what's going on with Shopify. Uh, let's what do you think of their fulfillment stuff? Like their yeah, I think they're trying to solve the problem that's maybe the easiest problem in e-commerce, <laughs> yeah. which is getting your package to the consumer. Like you know, it's not the most fun problem to solve because oftentimes you're paying either fast, uh, paying for heavy shipping, yeah. or you're uh, shipping really slowly and you have a bad, a mediocre customer experience. I think yeah. Allbirds does a really good job of this on their website, where they're like free shipping seven to twelve days. You know, right. ten dollars shipping. You know, five to seven days. $20 shipping within three days. Like, you know, running an e-commerce store, I can tell you a lot of people are like, hey, I ordered four days ago. Where's my package? Because mm -hmm. everyone's used to Amazon Prime like shipping. Right. And so that's nice that, you know, you want to fix that. But, you know, there's a ton of 3PLs and those 3PLs are pretty good at what they do. They know how to put a package in a box. They know how to put a shipping label on it. They know how to get boxes. They know how to manage your inventory. Uh, you know, do they mess up less than 1% of the time? Yes. Do they mess up more than 1% of the time? Probably not. There's some initial or uh, like hurdles when you walk into a, a 3PL, but generally those things get resolved. Mm -hmm. um, and the price are like, you know, not that insane, right? Yeah. Like no one's paying $30 to ship a cup, right? right? You're paying a dollar to two fifty max. Right. And so I don't know why they're trying to solve this problem that's commoditized and easy when yeah, Toby's an engineer. Yeah. You know, Toby's an engineer. Software is their home. Like, right. you know, are they, do they really think a Canadian is going to beat Jeff Bezos at his game? Like, <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. Jeff Bezos is incredible. Like, has invested hundreds of billions of dollars into yeah. fulfillment. Literally more than the market cap of Shopify times three yeah. to build out a fulfillment network. Right. You're not going to be able to do this or you're not going to be able to compete with fulfillment. Right. Compete where you can, which is customized site that offers more resonance between customers and the brands, yep. uh, good reviews and uh, fun shopping experience, delight when I get the package. Compete on all of those things, not totally. on get, getting your package faster where Jeff Bezos has won the game in the United States. Exactly. Yeah. That game's over. Yeah. What do you think? I completely agree. I mean, I think today I was talking to somebody and there's things that Shopify just doesn't cater to. Like for example, if I, let's say I own a clothing brand and I want to make sure that when, you know, if my sister comes to the site and she was previously looking at like a top on Gap, uh, that when she comes to the site, she should see women's tops on the homepage, right? Like that's true personalization Definitely. as everybody talks about. It's just like, I don't even know where I'd start with that for a Shopify site. Yeah. I know it's definitely possible with like Banana Republic, Yeah, you know, where they use third-party data and then it feeds into your CMS and that's how they know what to show you. But I have no idea where I'd start. Like that's, I think it's the problems like that. It's like the stuff that makes your site defensible and then allows you to go on the offense and really compete with the other 68,000 brands that sell the same thing. You know what else is crazy? Like Shopify constantly, um, they have this map up in their headquarters where they're like, here are the sales and like, you know, it's- Oh of, uh, yeah, the live know. sales. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And then what's terrible is that Shopify reps will leak data like there's no tomorrow. Like uh, Shopify reps have sold customer lists of like a brand because they have access to it or like given revenue information because they have access to all of that. So I'm surprised that's not more limited. But forget about all of that. They have access to so much information. Give us a monthly report about things that we yeah, should know a about. Trends like, report. Hey, Every these, month. yeah, exactly. These uh, buttons, uh, like you know, uh, that are red, and like some of it could be gimmicky. Buttons that sure. are red are converting about higher than buttons that are orange. Yeah. Some of it could be uh, sales overall on Shopify 
oh, the conversion rate has fallen overall on Shopify. Yeah. We're not sure why, you know, or it could be this much email, this this much traffic is derived from Facebook ads totally. uh, on Shopify. Give us some sort of benchmark metrics instead of having all of this information and providing none of it except through a Shopify rep who's leaking information like a sieve. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I think not only Shopify, but like I think every fulfillment company has the opportunity to do that. Uh, what was the one I was thinking? Like Ohi, the two the two yeah. hour delivery in every major city, like they have a perfect opportunity to do that. Any company that's aggregating so much data, like that is the content marketing that they're not spending money on while they're doing webinars and eBooks and all this other stuff. It doesn't shit. make any sense. Like Delta once released this thing where they're like, you know, the person who earned the most miles or the person, some guys flew 4 million miles last year. He was on a plane for X number of hours and he, uh, you know, most often he took off, he landed in Chicago. You know, that was super, like, you know, it's gimmicky, but I was like, wow, that's really that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, like, tell me what else is going on. Yeah. Marriott once announced, oh, like, uh, the, some guy spent 300 nights in Marriott hotels last year, and he stayed most often at, like, the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. And this Ritz-Carlton is his favorite. That's super interesting, too, you know? Yeah. Like, give us some sort of information like that. I'm not sure why so many people miss that opportunity. And I agree with 3PLs. 3PLs should be like, you know, I'd always call my 3PL and be like, hey, who's doing really well? I want to invest in a brand. Do you see anyone growing really quickly? Yeah. And there was never any good leads from that. I don't know why I couldn't get any good leads from that, but I was like, this is more disappointing than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah. But I think that that is an opportunity for 3PLs. You know, 3PLs should release a report at once a quarter. This is how fast we got packages out. Yeah. This is the average weight of a, of a package. And this is how much it costs to ship that package. Yeah. That's interesting. 100%. Like that's good for them. And then they could flip it back to you and be like, by the way, these are the top five cities that are growing the fastest for new packages. And this is where the heavier packages go. And this is where the beverages go. Yeah. You know, it would be so useful. Be so useful. Um, so dope. And like so, such great brand marketing and lead, lead generation for this 100%. Brand. Everybody would want to look at that. Yeah. I love Tapcart. Low cost, low effort to manage and gives you more control. Plug and play means setup takes hours, not weeks. And you'll join a roster of brands on board, including Princess Polly, Figs, and Fashion Nova. On average, merchants are seeing an average 43x ROI and super high conversion rates. Easy and no downside to building your own app. Give your shoppers a seamless and VIP experience on mobile. Start building with their demo plus two months free at tapcart.com slash limited. Okay, let's switch into uh, Facebook for a moment. You know, Facebook is getting their lunch eaten. And, you know, you mentioned something just before we started the pod, which is you think that, you know, Instagram could disappear in the next five years. I just think that Instagram focuses on all the wrong things. Like they came out with the announcement this week. They're focused on every video becoming a reel. They want people to pump out more videos. Yeah. They're basically just trying to be TikTok. Yeah. Like that's essentially what they're trying to do. They're like, forget the algorithm that we built. We're just going to do this whole for you page and the algorithm is going to serve you. My first thought was, shit, what, what does this mean for ads? But I realized the so. ads will still be there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Thank God. Uh, it's also Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but all the users are pissed. And there was um, Adam Mosery, the head of Instagram, tweeted his video announcing this. And like every, he got ratioed so hard. Every reply was just like, dude, give us Instagram back. Like, yeah. we don't care for these shitty meme pages going viral and all the recommended posts that get thrown in and, you know, an ad every other post and every, you know, on stories now, it's like back to back ads. Yeah. Like, you'll, you'll go a, a friend's story one ad from one company, another company's ad, and yeah. then back to stories. Yeah, They've basically just killed the experience trying to focus on revenue. And I'm sure there's some reason that, you know, they switch to all reels and all full screen 
basically just pushing video. And it's yeah. like, because they want to get more time spent in the app. Yeah. But. Has your app updated to the new experience? Uh, no. Mine has. It's, it's, is, it, is it bad? It's tough. It's a lot tougher. It feels like you're, you're a, like yeah, everything is the video. The tweets I saw were like basically saying the whole thing feels like a start and stop experience yeah. versus like scrolling and seeing what your friends are doing. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can't even remember the last time I actually scrolled Instagram. It's just always the stories. Yeah. And it's like, I'll see stories from five people. And I'm like, all right, I don't care anymore. I was mentioning this before we said the pod and I feel like memes are the death of, have been the death of Instagram because for a while Instagram was uh, where you went to go see what friends were up to and they'd post photos and you'd take a look at them and like them. And yeah. like, you know, then they had stories which were nice because they were less like, you know, beautiful photos and you felt like you could produce more content. But when memes started arriving, people like I, like my account was probably 50% friends and 50% memes at some point. And like, those are the things you'd share back and forth with friends. You'd be like, yeah. oh, I saw this funny meme. Let me send it to you. And those were the things that would go viral. And then TikTok was like, great. It turns out that uh, people are spending time on Instagram, not as a social community center, but right. for entertainment purposes. Right. And that entertainment can be had from whether it be your friend or really the meme, and we're just going to make memes in different ways. Yeah. And those memes are entertaining videos, whether it be, you know, something funny or something where like, you know, somebody puts a laundry basket on someone else's head yeah. or like, you know, how to clean your bathroom. Yeah. And so we're they're definitely like, on the same side of TikTok. <laughs> yeah. And so they're like, look, uh, Instagram used to be this place that was social and like then the network effect was friends. Right. And I think what's crazy now is the network effect is not friends that much any longer on like there's no network effect on TikTok with friends. It's not like I'm yeah. seeing 30 friends of mine post TikToks. Totally. Uh, I'm just seeing random accounts and accounts that I follow post uh, videos. And so uh, the network effects are just the size. There's so many people producing so much interesting content yeah. that it's really good. And also TikTok, not friends. TikTok is where the memes now start. Yeah. Like they start in the comments of TikTok or it's a video. You know, you're on TikTok to make sure you're, you're in tune with culture. Like yeah. there's so many things that happen now where it's like, oh, oh, you don't have TikTok. Yes. Yeah, so you have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, I think you know? it's like, um, yeah, I com completely agree with that. I just think that like uh, Instagram's moat was their network effects, which totally. is you and all of your friends are on there. And yeah. TikTok is like, it doesn't even matter if your friends are on here or not. Uh, everyone, like, you know, just entertained. yeah, exactly. You're entertained. Yeah. And um, Instagram is sort of being like, okay, forget our moat. Let's lean into the entertainment side of things. And that's scary because I'm like, you're going to lose your soul. Right. Because I don't know if you know, I'm not sure if you know how to do entertainment as well as TikTok knows how to yeah, do entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's really scary um, for Facebook. And I think, you know, five years ago or something, they're like, look, there's no more place for us to put ads. We've maxed out on ads. And then like stories really helped, like Snapchat came out with stories and Instagram copied them. And that really helped boost engagement because Instagram was dying already. Totally. And stories came out and they're like, oh, wow, a lot of people are engaging with this content again. Then they were like, okay, we found out a new place where you can post ads. But, you know, at some point they're going to run out of ad space. 100%. Uh, and so prices either have to go up or they've got to, uh, you know, add more ad space or get more eyeballs. Those are yeah. really the only things that they can do. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure what Facebook looks like several years from now. I always like, you know, I still think it has this huge uh, moat of women, both men and women, probably over the age of 40. Yeah. Especially groups, women. I think, yeah. is where their engagement is. Yeah. And I remember... It was either last year or the year before, or maybe it was right when the pandemic started, but like groups were becoming huge. Like yeah. they were pushing out of home yeah. across the country for groups. 
And like, you know, my mom only goes on to go jump into groups. She doesn't, she doesn't care what friends are doing. Yeah. She's like in groups and learning about things. Yeah. And, you know, sending me the best of what to get from Costco and Trader Joe's. Like, yeah. Those are the groups. Yeah. Yeah. My sister as well. She's like, oh, this is the, you know, gym we should join when we move to a new city or something yeah. like that. And she like, it gets into groups and asks. It's just bananas that like, you know, is that where Facebook is heading? Like a better version of Yahoo forums? I, I think so. Uh, that's scary. Do you remember um, Yahoo Answers by any chance? Yeah, yeah, Yahoo Answers. That's what I meant. Yeah, One of Yahoo the greatest. Answers. That was, oh, that's the worst. That is the funniest and worst uh, platform I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Let's jump into a couple of these publicly traded businesses. I really wanted to ch chat about three, uh, Boxed, Grove, and Thrive Market. Yeah. And I want to chat about these three because they're all sort of in the same space. Certainly Grove is a little mm -hmm. bit different than all of them because Grove focuses on private label products and more cleaning than food, like home care than food. Boxed and Thrive Market is sort of both the Costco's online. Boxed has a market cap of $136 million today. $136 million, which absolutely blows my mind. Uh, Grove Collaborative uh, IPO'd less than two months ago. And it's down from billion five to seven hundred million dollars. Lost eight hundred million dollars in market cap. And to be honest, I don't think the market is wrong. Like you know, the market is pretty efficient about these kinds of things. Yeah, I think this might have been something I asked on Pod One, which or Episode One, which, which is, are IPOs good exits for uh, you know direct to consumer brands or for e commerce brands? I feel like none of them have done extremely well. What about Figs? Yeah, I think figs and like chewy are the certainly the exceptions, but most of them have not fed, met a good fate. Yeah, figs is actually down from opening too. Yeah, they're all down from opening for sure. There's a one company called Wink, which um, I wine. used to follow. Have you heard of Wink? Wine, right? Yeah, they yeah. do wine. They used to be called Club W. I think this is the same brand. Yeah. They were like a Y Combinator company. They were growing. They were doing like 70 million in revenue. I was like, this is oh, a they crazy They IPO'd brand. during the pandemic. They IPO'd Smart. and they're worth $20 million today. Damn. Like that's the valuation, that's slightly more than the valuation YC invested in them, at, you know, 10 years ago. That is nuts. I'm not sure what's going on here. Yeah, Damn, a dollar thirty-two stock price. What do you even do with a dollar thirty-two? Yeah, price? under a dollar, they tell you you have to either get above a dollar or we have to take you off. Wow, like you won't see any stocks trading on the New York Stock Exchange for fifty cents. Boxed is a dollar ninety-six. Yeah, I just feel like these aren't ripe to go public. Maybe, you know? but like, because like the the goal with so many of these companies is, especially I think one like Grove. Like I consider Grove a straight Facebook ads brand, <laughs> straight Facebook ads. They mastered the arbitrage of Facebook ads tactically, like three months to six months before any other company was doing what they were doing. Like they were really good at customer acquisition. But the whole thought behind it is the same thought behind lots of beverage companies, which is like, all right, we're going to raise a ton of money. We're going to burn a bunch of cash. We're going to get a ton of users. And then we're going to sell. And this new parent company is going to optimize everything we were wasting money on. Supply chain, wholesale, yeah. shelf space, slotting yeah. fees, advertising costs. And we're still going to have the customers and the revenue. And that switch or that acquisition will turn us green. Yeah, right? that isn't yeah, that did not happen for Dollar Shave Club, for instance. It didn't happen yeah. for a lot of companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think that was also then the thought with the IPO. Like maybe we don't need an acquirer, we'll just go public and the markets will <laughs> <laughs> Well, you still need to do all those things, you know, yeah. it's a problem. Like yeah. the markets aren't like, oh yeah, okay, don't worry about it. Like yeah. uh, you know, for instance, Rent the Runway has been around, I think, since 2010. Yeah. At what point are do, are they required to make money? 
before like the market says you got to get out of here. And I think the market has been speaking and saying, hey, look, you guys got to make money soon. Like this is a 12 year old business. It's mature. You can't constantly be uh, coming back for more dollars. What's the biggest benefit to going public? Yeah. Like, so Rent the Runway, their market cap is $277 million. Why not just stay private? I think the answer is twofold. One is investors and two is employees. And in both cases, uh, it's money. Like, yeah. uh, you, you know, investors at some point are like, well, look, I want my money back. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very reasonable thing to ask for. Like, you know, the investors in Rent the Runway were locked up for 10 years. I don't know when Hint Water started. But 2005. Hint Water started in 2005. Yeah. Okay, those investors have been in for 17 years. You know, yeah. they've seen a kid's born and pro- almost go to college. <laughs> yeah. So they're, at some point, they're going to be like, my son needs to inherit. You know, my son is going to inherit my Hint stock. My son needs stock, to go to right? college now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> y- y- at some point, he's going to be like, my son needs, isn't going to, I didn't tell him he's going to inherit Hint stock. I told him he's going to inherit cash. Yeah. And so he needs cash. Yeah. And so I think- Harvard doesn't accept hot stock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and at some point, employees feel the same way too, right? I'm yeah. an early employee. At some point, I need liquidity. And so do- Founders have a little bit better optionality there and that they yeah. can sell stock easier right. and like take that money and, and buy houses. And, and are and there call. platforms where employees can sell secondaries? There are. Uh, they're all sort of um, not black market. Black market's the wrong word, but gray yeah. market where okay. it's like, you know, sort of done under the table. Most brands are like, we don't let you do it. Like yeah. Airbnb wouldn't let you do it, but people did it under the table anyway. Got it. And some brands will be like, that's okay, you can do it. Like Palantir used to say when it was a privately com- a privately held company, it was like, yeah, you can do it and we'll approve it. Stripe, for instance, I know Stripe says you cannot do this, no selling of our stock, um, but people still do it under the table. Like I get emails where people are like, hey, do you want to buy Stripe stock, for instance? Oh, nice. And like, you know, uh, it's just done under the table. Yeah. And there's a couple ways to do it. One is like, I saw, uh, one's called a forward purchase contract, which is requires a lot of faith. The other is, let's say um, the stock is held in this entity. Yeah. So I hold all my Nick Sharma shares in this entity. And then rather than sell somebody the shares in Nick Sharma, I just sell them the entity. So they own the entity that owns all the Nick Sharma shares, and that is tradable. You know? Got it, got it. Makes Which sense. is a clever way of doing it. Yeah. So Wink, so like they're they're worth twenty million dollars. Like, what happens? You think uh, are you going to go buy them? Wink. Yeah. No, I'm out of the alcohol space. Uh, but somebody could just buy them. Definitely, someone could buy them and turn them around. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it might be worthwhile to do it. Like, yeah. uh, I'm not sure what their sales look like, but and you know, you could probably buy them for thirty million dollars. But, you know, you've got to turn around that business and yeah. might need more cash, right? Right. In the near future, it might need more cash. Yeah, and that's yeah. the scary part as well. Like Honest, Honest is trading at about $300 million. And, it, you know, that's based on it going up 5% or 6% in the last couple of days. $300 million, you know, it's raised probably four or $500 million over the course of its business life. Yeah. That, so it's raised more money than, you, you know, it's worth today. And that's a pretty crazy thing that's happened. But, okay, let's switch gears. I think... You know, I think that's an existential crisis, which is <laughs> yeah. what happens. And I think, you know, there's a great article and I, uh, by Jason Del Rey, and he wrote it for Recode, which has now become like uh, Voxed. Yeah. And he wrote this article about bootstrap businesses, and included Native, and he included uh, Tuft and Needle and Movement Watches. Yeah. And I think like the more and more I think about life and e-commerce in general, the more and more I'm like, wow, that article was so smart where he's like, look, good exits happen when you don't raise money and people should be listening to that advice. And there's a lot of bad exits happen that that happen when you do raise money. But, you know, I also think like, you know, if I was raising money, I would have a, like three plans of how this person's getting their money back because I just feel horrible for not, you know, for for like losing this person's money. Yeah, I think and, that's 
some, I mean, I guess after you raise a hundred million dollars, it's kind of hard, but like maybe a few million, it's like possible with dividends or payouts over time. Yeah. Um, I think that's great, but that means your business is doing well. Like what happens right, when your yeah. business isn't doing well and you're yeah. like, where do I come up with this money? Yeah, that's totally. the hard part. The nice part about it is if you raise from VCs, it's generally not their money. It's somebody right. else's money that you've never met. Yeah. So they're like, and you're like, I didn't lose your money. I lost the money you were managing on behalf of this yeah. guy. I never want to meet that guy, you know? Yeah. Okay, let's switch gears really quickly and talk about out-of-the-box marketing channels. I had a conversation with uh, one of the brands that I'm an investor in about this earlier today, which are like, what are really interesting things that people can do to advertise that aren't performance marketing? First, let me start out and caveat this where I'm uh, by saying, I don't know if any of these are a good idea, and I bet that most yeah, of them are bad cool. ideas. Yeah, they're really interesting, and it'll get people talking about you, and it's probably a great way to, it's probably something great to do if you're trying to sell your business and your business is worth a ton of money, is do out-of-the-box marketing channels, because it'll get your, people talking about you. Yeah. So I, I guess the one thing I saw recently was on United Airlines, I took a flight. And if you were sitting in a business class, they gave you a small mini away airline, away travel suitcase mm -hmm. filled with a bunch of toiletries that you could use on your flight. This is something that um, Rimawa did a really long time ago with a bunch of other airlines, particularly Asian airlines mm -hmm. like EVA Air. And I'm surprised it took away travel so long to do it, but they're starting to do that, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. Basically, it's mini suitcase on your United Airlines flight and you're going to keep the mini suitcase totally. yeah, you know, forever because it's like a cute thing. Yeah. Like 100%. I took mine home. I feel like airlines are super undervalued for direct consumer brands. There's one company, I'm forgetting the name. I'm going to have to look it up and come back and talk about it. But there's one company that actually on JetBlue, if you fly JetBlue Mint, which is their first class. Yeah. Um, they give you this little pouch and it's got, it's just a collection of D2C brands like <laughs> chapstick from one company and like cream from another company. Yeah. And they're all direct to consumer, which I thought is awesome. You know what's hilarious? Um, this probably goes back to our original point, which is how do you jump, drum up cash flow? That's probably what JetBlue is yeah, doing there. Exactly. They're charging those brands. Exactly. So that's one. Yeah. Um, Airlines, you're right. You know, Casper mattresses are yeah. on American Airlines first yeah. class. Muddy Bites are served on Delta airplanes. No way. Yeah. I saw it on oh. their website actually. That's You're sick. right. People, a lot of Delta people are doing Friday. That. I'm going to get those. A lot of people are doing that. Yeah. Um, and then Unfem, which is a wine company, canned wine startup, also now on Delta. Wow. That's Maybe awesome. it's like Delta is pioneering this whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. There might be. There was another thing that I saw that was really clever was MeUndies a long time ago sponsored. You know, when you're going through security and you have those gray trays yeah. to put all of your stuff in and you've got to take off your shoes. Like they sponsored something like uh, advertising their socks. They're like, don't you want, don't you wish you had better socks on right now? You should buy me on these socks. And I was like, this is such good placement. Like yeah. the place where everyone's looking at everyone's socks and you're yeah. like, shoot, I've got a hole in my sock or these are mismatched. <laughs> yeah. uh, they sponsored. And I thought that was really smart of them. That is smart. I remember Snapchat did a lot of that too, I think, where they were just like yellow with the little ghost. And yeah, because they were trying to get people to use those geo filters at airports. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, another one that I had under Snapchat was those kiosks where they dropped the the Snapchat goggles. I forget what they're called. Yeah, Snapchat glasses uh, that take photos and stuff. Yeah, and they used to drop those in kiosks, and they'd get line, crazy. Yeah, lines those of vending machines, right? They look like vending yeah. machines. They were beautiful vending machines. Super nice. I bought three pairs of those things. Yeah, I had somebody on opening day buy one in L.A. and then ship it to me. Wow. Uh, yeah, those were sick. And then you wrote hymns here, and I thought about hymns had. I think the first first like direct to consumer brand to do a plane as well as bathroom stalls yeah. at baseball fields and then even behind home plate 
they did a lot of innovative stuff in sports. So smart. Like uh, yeah. bathrooms, like, you know, bathroom stalls or urinal stands for uh, men's products. Like yeah. this is such a good men's product to advertise right there. Perfect. Um, I thought it was really genius of them. Yeah. You know, I wondered if there's like, uh, you know, we talked about Arbor uh, the other day with Ben. I wonder if like, you know, can you mail people a patch of grass? Yeah. Like, you know, is that a good idea for a lawn care company? Yeah. Uh, or seeds. Or yeah. Or seed. Yeah. That's yeah, a great that idea as well. Yeah. Like, um, I wonder if more people can do things that are out of the box like that. I'm not yeah. sure how to do that. Um, uh, but I, I think more bra- like, you know, if you're selling your business, I think it makes a ton of sense because it gets your bra- people talking about your brand, especially right. these mid-level executives at, you know, bullshit companies that are like, oh my God, look at how innovative yeah. these people are. Yeah. And they don't like under- they don't think about ROAS ever because they've Never. never thought about that kind of stuff. So I, th- I think it's a great idea. I just don't know if any of these things ever make money. I would hope they do. Yeah. I'd hope the guys at Hims and Away and MeUndies and Snapchat have always thought about this kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know how you measure those things and whether they actually make money. Yeah. What's the the Manscaped billboard? Manscaped uh, rented a bill, uh, barge in uh, Miami, put a billboard on it, and then put uh, sent it up and down South Beach so everyone could see it. Yeah. And it just said, got Bush. And it had a lawnmower on there, like a Manscaped lawnmower trimmer oh, that's awesome. on there. And like, you know, who thinks about advertising on a barge floating yeah. up and down South Beach? Right. And now I think other people are doing yeah, it. Yeah, now there's like, this like is companies really with boats on, billboards on boats that that are just digital billboards. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think uh, it's getting to be bigger. But when I saw it, I was like, this is genius of you guys. Yeah. Um, so smart. Like, you know. Did you see Manscaped is doing a big endorsement with Pete, da- Pete Davidson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see What that. do you think about big celebrity endorsements like that? I think of it as the same thing I think of the rest of these things, which is if the ROAS makes sense, let's do it. I mean, I think he's a great guy to do it with and yeah. seems like a very genuine. Yeah. Uh, and I really like that about him. I, In fact, I love that guy. Uh, he, he has so much character and he's just like, everyone's like, how are you getting all these hot women? And he's like, I don't know, but it's working. Uh, <laughs> But um, I really like him. I just don't know how much they paid him. Like, you know, yeah. uh, and I wonder how much those types of things cost. Like they also had Gronk from the, you know, New England Patriots are down yeah. Tampa Bay Bucks. I don't know how much they paid him, but I think it was like, you know, they seem to be selling a lot and not burning a ton of money. And so that, that, I think they're doing something right there. Yeah, 100%. All right. So should we jump into the daily report? Should we save that for next time? Uh, let's save it for next time. All right. Because uh, so, we got to do the daily. Next time, I want to do the daily report and the Andrew Udarian's tweet. Because perfect. I think episode two and three and now four, we're like we're going to do these things next. Yeah, yeah. But next time we'll do the daily report. Daily report, I'm really excited about as well because it's like yeah. what metrics should you be paying attention to on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. And like I think not enough people would put retention on that list. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's really important. But things like open rate is that important to you, or does it not matter when you're a big brand at scale? Like you know, revenue derived per email does that matter? Or does it not matter? Conver- Conversion rate. What about conversion rate of PayPal versus Stripe? Right. Do all of those things matter? So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that next episode. Totally. All right. So let's do uh, e-commerce brand shout outs. Uh, why don't you go first? Uh, okay, great. I'm going to do two. One is this company called The Big Favorite, which I think no one's ever heard of. And they do some sort of stuff with like recycling clothing and all that kind of garbage. Not garbage, but like, you know, actually recycling. And that's great. But the reason I buy it is because their clothes are fantastic. Uh, they make like undershirts and boxers. And it's basically the only shirts and boxers I ever wear. I love them so much. And nice. no one's ever heard of them. And I sort of don't want people to buy too much because they'll, they'll sell out. Uh, but I really like that. The other brand, and I'm friends with the guys who run this business, not an investor, not an advisor, nothing, no equity, nothing like that. Same with Big Favorite. is called Otherland Candle. They sell candles and they're like really beautiful candles. 
And the reason I love their products is because they make wonderful gifts. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to gift less like alcohol and sugar because they're so bad for you. Yeah. And it's so hard to find gifts that are not bad for you. Yeah. All the gifts are they're like- all, They're all vices. Yeah, yeah. Here's an indulgence that is going to take, you know, days or if not months or years off of your life. Yeah. And Otherland Candle is a fantastic gift that's like, you know, $40, like $35 or $40 for a single candle. Yeah. So it's like a good price point where you're like, I'm not shelling out 150 bucks for my friend, but it's also like a nice gift that doesn't kill anybody. Yeah unless you, you know, burn down the house. Sure. And so I, I really like that brand as well. Nice, yeah. I would say um, two of mine, actually three, I'll say, all apparel companies. The first one is Western Rise, which is this black t-shirt I'm wearing and these socks. And they just make the most comfortable black t-shirts. Really? Okay. Uh, I, super comfortable. I, I want, I'm going to get you a pair of big favorite. I'm going to buy a pair of Western okay, Rise perfect. and we'll see which one's better. Deal. Uh, the second one is Jambies, just because like, I, I think if I'm not, if I'm at home, like if I'm within my apartment, I'm in Jambies. Yeah. It's the only thing I wear. I love Jambies so much. They have like, uh, they said two things to me that were really clever. One was, uh, Jack did, one was Lee's like, you know, if Nike's slogan is just do it, ours is just don't do it. Yeah. You know, they're like at home, you, when you're at home, it's Jambies time, you know, yeah. like you're like, uh, and it's such a cute name, like, you know, 100%. it's not pajamas, but it's like Jambies. It's so good. Yeah. And so I love Jambies. The third one is, uh, have you heard of this women's brand called Kuyana, women's apparel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, High-end, sustainable clothing, really good quality. But I love the fact that they're, so if you dissect their site, like the the site theme and the way things are laid out, it's so basic, but their creative is so good. Like they're so good at taking photos and staying consistent. Like their photos that they maybe took at a photo shoot yesterday are just as consistent as their shot photo shoot from three years ago. And you couldn't tell that they were separate days. Wow. That's pretty crazy. It's nuts. I've never, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you, do you do a lot of photo shoots? Is that why you like think about that? Or how, how did no. you like realize that? So I met with this guy who was, he was a CMO at, I don't think it was, Procter and Gamble. It, it was some large company. Yeah. Um, and he was a CMO. And that was one of the things he said. He's like, you know, if you look up American Crew, the, you know, that gel that you find at Great Clips. Yeah. 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 He was like, if you look at an American Crew photo shoot from today or five years ago or 10 years ago, it's like the exact same style of a photo. That's called brand. Like you should be able to go to Google, search the name, and you see consistency. Like that's brand over time. And one, I just thought it was a fascinating way of how these older companies think. Yeah. Like that's what, that's their KPI, <laughs> you know, not ROAS and not yeah. testing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But then I started to notice it and specifically in apparel, I noticed it a lot more like Everlane, Kuyana, Lunia. Yeah. Apparel companies, it's almost a part of their brand identity to have consistent Photo shoots. Photo shoots. I guess yeah. they're the guys who have to do a lot of photo shoots. Like, yeah. Um, and consistent direction, mm-hmm. art direction and all that stuff. That's really interesting. It's interesting that, that that's what he thinks of his brand. But I guess, you know, I always thought of it as like, if this brand was going to make a hotel, can you envision what it would look like? And like, Ooh. if you can, that's a good brand. And if yeah. you can't, you probably, it's probably not. Like, I can imagine what an Apple hotel would look like. Yeah. And I can imagine what a Nike hotel would look like. Right. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's always true. Like, I don't know what a Tide laundry detergent hotel would look like, but I know what the Tide brand is. You know? Yeah. So maybe it's a bad, uh, bad question to ask. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I really like their motto. It's like fewer, better things, Yeah, which is really interesting way of putting it and good for them. Like that is a great brand. Yeah. They've crushed it. Yeah. They have a brick and mortar store in San Francisco. At least they did yeah, several and years right ago. Right next to Prince street pizza here too. Oh, here too. Oh yeah, wow. It's a beautiful you know store. 
Okay, awesome. Next episode, episode five, Daily Report, Andrew Udarian tweet, uh, a couple things we want to chat about, the subscription apps. We also want to chat about Canopy yeah. and how they got a rock star executive. Okay, so looking forward to, exec- uh, to episode five then. Awesome. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on.